Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain unlimited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's going on, everybody? DJ Bucky here, Move the Sticks, with a lot to get to on today's show, Buck. We've got uh, all kinds of goodies. Why don't you uh, tell the folks what we've got coming up? Oh, man, nothing better than having awards. We're having the quarter poll. Ooh, that was easier said than done. The quarter <laughs> poll awards, where we get a chance to talk about who's playing well after four games. We're going to talk about the Monday night recap. Lev Bell says he's coming back after week seven. And I can't believe Sully had a great week with college football picks. And we're talking about the college football picks. Yeah, and baby. We also have a- Oh yeah, Sully's so fired up. But we, hey, let's not bury the lead. We've got a, we've got a, uh, one of our favorite uh, college football players going to join the show today. Hunter Renfro, not the outfielder for the Padres, uh, but the wide receiver for the Clemson Tigers. He of fame for catching the national championship game-winning touchdown. And who, if you've watched Clemson play in any close game, anytime there is a play to be made, Hunter Renfro's number is called. And we're going to have him on. Get a chance to visit with him, and also uh, to promote his article, which we've got on NFL.com. We we pump these things out. Our, our great team of writers, they find the best stories in college football and eventually know these guys are going to make their way to the NFL. And they do a full workup, full background. You're going to get so many good nuggets out of this story. And I believe there's a, a vanity URL for this thing too. So isn't NFL.com slash Hunter Renfro? Is that, is that what it is? Correct. And then uh, you, you, can, you can go to NFL.com and, slash, uh, and search Back to Campus. You can find the whole collection of uh, Back to Campus articles as well. Yeah, you're going to want to check that out. But I'm looking forward to, uh, to chatting with him a little bit later on in the show. Uh, but let's get this thing kicked off, Buck. Monday Night Football, very entertaining game. Kansas City Chiefs, they squeak one out on the road against the Denver Broncos. Uh, Pat Mahomes, I guess, you know, another opportunity for him to, in front of a big audience uh, to show what he is all about, Buck. And, man, I'll tell you what, the, the arm talent, the athleticism, and the decision-making kind of all coming together for him. And, of course, highlighted by his, uh, his little left-handed throw in this game. He pretty much did everything he needed to do to win this win this ball game. Look, I know it's not time to take a victory lap uh, for evaluators, the guys who are really all in on Pat Mahomes. Oh, no, no. The victory laps have been taken. 
Yeah, but I, I will say this. I underestimated his ability to kind of make a seamless transition to the National Football League. Uh, when you watched him at Texas Tech, we could see the arm talent. We could see that he was a gunslinger. I uh, liked him even more when he came in and visited us on the podcast. No uh, I thought his IQ, his football IQ was uh, much better than we ever would have thought coming out of that offense. Uh, but you just didn't know if he was going to be able to curtail some of the risk-taking that was a big part of his DNA at Texas Tech. And by all accounts, look, man, the kid is playing at a superstar level. And not only in watching the game, but really in listening to the Chiefs players after the game, Pat Mahomes is the epitome of what a franchise quarterback is. When you heard Kareem Hunt say, like, oh, we know we always have a chance because the guy gives us hope. You heard other players on the team say, look, man, as long as we got number 15 on the squad, we know if we get the ball back, we have an opportunity to make things happen. Uh, For me, a franchise quarterback is a guy that inspires his team to just simply want to give him an opportunity to see if he can win it at the end. In the fourth quarter, Pat Mahomes won the game because he made a ton of plays. And it wasn't a stellar performance the first three quarters, But, man, in the fourth quarter, I think he was 13 for 16, uh, made every play that you wanted to see made, and he had a game-winning drive. Pat Mahomes is the real deal. He is something that I didn't think would – he's better than I ever could expect him to be right away. No, he's been phenomenal. And you you go back to that time he came in, Buck, and that was it. I think that was probably the mistake. I know the mistake that I made is – getting a chance to visit with him. It was real late. We had him in, I think, maybe two weeks before the draft. Yeah, we had him in and late. He was very impressive. He was in late, but he was impressive. The recall, I remember asking him about specific plays and specific games, and he'd spit it out exactly what he saw. Um, so the football intelligence was off the charts. Now, he had some footwork things he needed to clean up, some decision-making things he needed to clean up. I do give Andy Reid uh, some credit for that. He has a lot of weapons in this offense. It's very quarterback-friendly, but make no mistake about it, he's the one making it all go. In this offense, we saw it be successful under Alex Smith. He's definitely taken it to another level with what he's done under Andy Reid. And, and when you look at just over the first four games, and you know, like, let's not get carried away, but when you look at some of the all-time great seasons, let's go to Peyton Manning in, in 2013, Tom Brady in 2007, and you stack up the numbers. Now, Manning, now all these guys were 4-0 at that point in time. Manning was going for 367.5 a game in terms of yardage. Uh, Brady was 279.5, so that Brady was a little bit off there. Mahomes in the middle, right at 300. The touchdown-to-interception ratio, Manning 16 to nothing, which mm-hmm. is ridiculous. Mahomes right there, though, 14 to nothing. Brady was 13-2. and uh, and then you look at the passer ratings, 126.5 for Mahomes, 138 for Manning. Goodness gracious. And uh, Tom Brady, 134.7. So, look, that Manning and Brady ended up losing Super Bowls that year. So, you know, I think Chiefs fans are hoping that that would be the one difference between those guys. But he is having a historical start to an NFL season. A fantastic start. And the comparisons that you're hearing, uh, particularly from Andy Reid, uh, the Brett Favre comparison, having played with Brett Favre, 95, 96, 97, when he won three straight MVPs. There are a lot of similarities to their game. I think the left-handed pass kind of kind of pushed me over the top with the comparison because, <laughs> look, when being on the field, having watched Brett Favre pull off similar maneuvers, you begin to think, like, this guy is really a magician. And I know at some point it's going to level off uh, some of the risky plays that he's, he's making will kind of go the other way. But Pat Mahomes makes you defend the entire field, sideline to sideline, end zone to end zone. There is no throw that is out of his range. And because of the athleticism, even more athleticism than we talked about in the run-up to the draft, I mean, this dude is kind of like the creative player at quarterback. 
He is everything that you want, and the Kansas City Chiefs have done a great job of surrounding him with the right kind of talent that allows him to play to the strengths of his game. I still think the team is a little bit lopsided when you look at some of their issues on the defensive side of the ball. It got exploited a little bit by the Broncos in that one. Uh, but, you know, hey, they're going to go out there they and try are, to outscore every team they play. They are the Houston Rockets of the National Football League. That's they a great call. They are going to outscore <laughs> you. And defense doesn't really matter because they're going to hit so many three balls that you're not going to be close. They put a tremendous amount of pressure on you with their offense. Their offense is actually their best defense. They better just hope Chris Paul doesn't get hurt. <laughs> uh, let, let's uh, let's get to our quarter pull awards here. Uh, we're going to go offensive rookie of the year. We've kind of got together on this, put our heads together, and, and came up with some names here. Uh, Buck, I, look, at the end of the day, Calvin Ridley's got six touchdowns. I think you have to give him the offensive rookie of the, of the first quarter. You have to. I mean, like, you want people that can put the ball in the paint. This league is about offense now. It's about scores. Calvin really is a prolific point scorer on the outside. Six touchdowns. More impressive. Um, look, on our preview video, you broke down Calvin really and what he brings to the table outside. His route running ability to me made him a special player, special playmaker. And as a complimentary piece, opposite Julio Jones, he is getting the favorable matchups. Matt Ryan is finding out real quickly. Calvin really is better than most number twos and number threes on the outside. No question. How about this for a little nugget here? Over the last 30 seasons, that's 33-0, uh, players that have scored uh, six touchdowns by any means in their first four games, their first four NFL games. How about this list? LaDainian Tomlinson in 2001 and Kareem Hunt last year. That is it. So that's a pretty good company there for Calvin Ridley. Well, one of those guys has a gold jacket. We'll see if the other one gets it. <laughs> yeah, he's off to a good start. Uh, no question. All right, defensive Rookie of the uh, of the first quarter here, Buck. I, man, I, I I don't know. We kind of went back and forth on this one with two names. I think we can cheat, right? It's our podcast. We make our rules. Oh, yeah. so what do you think? What, let's make it a co. You want to make it a co? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, who we got here? That want you to share with the I'm folks. A, I'm gonna take Darius to. Leonard from the Indianapolis Colts. Look, had a man crush on him the entire run up to the draft. Coming out of South My Carolina guy. State, his ability to make plays as a sideline to sideline enforcer has only shown up again when he goes to Indianapolis. This guy makes every tackle for the Colts. <laughs> if it gets past the line of scrimmage, he is there. Terrific player. Look, Chris Ballard is building something nice in Indianapolis. Part of the reason to be they're able to be so competitive, the defense is playing better than anticipated, is because Darius Leonard is making every play on defense. Yeah, he is making every play, and he's going to uh, share this award here with Derwin James, who has been – really the most dominating player on the Chargers defense and kind of kept that team afloat right now. Has three sacks in four games for the Chargers, but I know that number is three. He also has a play, if you watch against the Buffalo Bills, where he tackles Josh Allen before he can even hand the ball off. Didn't even get credit for that sack. And then you watch the game last week, 49ers have the ball with a chance to go down and win the football game. He drills Beathard, ball pops up in the air, gets it picked off by Isaac Rochelle, really saved the game. So three sacks and a boatload of pressures, as well as a high interception when he's lined up high against the Rams, makes a break on a ball down there in the end zone. He's just been a playmaker. He's been outstanding for the Chargers, everything and even more than advertised. And really, when you look at where he went in the first round, Buck, I'll say he'll go down as the biggest steal in the first round of last year's NFL draft. Absolutely. He's a guy that we talked about it. Um, you look at his athleticism, you look at his football character, the versatility. He is everything that you look for in a high-level football player. And now you're seeing the production match it. It didn't always match it at Florida State, but he is absolutely playing at a level that is beyond belief. This dude is a terrific football player. All right, let's get to the next one here. Let's go uh, offensive MVP of the quarter poll. Now, keep in mind, 
obviously Pat Mahomes is the is the MVP overall. You know, forget offense, dude. He's been the best player in the NFL. So we probably should have mentioned that when we were talking about Mahomes. But if we're just going to go offensive MVP of the quarter poll, uh, which one are we going with here? I mean, Jerry Goff. Jerry Goff is is really showing people that he's more than just a system quarterback, that he is a legitimate franchise player. You look at what he's been able to do this season. I mean, look, he's completing 72% of his passes, 1,400 yards, 11-2 touchdown-to-interception ratio, and a 127.3 passer rating. He is everything that you want to see. And, in fact, his numbers surpass our our counterpart, Kurt Warner's numbers from the uh, 2001 season when he finished with the MVP award. He is terrific. Jerry Goff is everything that you're looking for in this system that is specifically designed to get him off. He is off and running like a champ. Yeah, greatest show on turf. Uh, That was the old school. Now we're the greatest show on surf here with the Rams being in Los Angeles. Oh, I like that. Uh, Yeah, no question. Goff, uh, second quarterback since 1950, record 400-plus passing yards, five passing TDs, and a perfect passer rating in a game. Not too shabby last week against the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, he's been phenomenal. So I, I'm uh, I'm definitely in agreement there. He is the offensive MVP at the quarter pole. Mark here. Let's go to the defensive MVP at the quarter pole. And I don't know how we can go in any other direction here, Buck. I mean, when you look at Khalil Mack and the impact after the trade and what he's meant for the Chicago Bears, and, and truthfully, even kind of seeing what he's meant not being with the Oakland Raiders, uh, man, he has just been a dominant player. Sack, force, fumble. It's just uh, get ready for one. There's one every week. And look, he is – single-handedly transformed the Chicago Bears into a legitimate playoff contender, and maybe even more. What his presence has done to that defense has made the Monsters of the Midway reappear. They are a dominant defensive group. They can get after the pass. They can knock you around. And his energy has really raised the level of energy for everybody on that squad. He's terrific. You talk about in four games, four sacks, four forced fumbles, dominant all over the field. Khalil Mack is everything that they wanted when they made the trade with the Oakland Raiders. Yeah, he definitely has brought an identity to not only that uh, that defense, but that team. Uh, just a physical, dominating player. It took a good defense under Vic Fangio. taking it to a completely new level. All right, let's, some other items here I want to get to before we jump into the college and welcome our guest, Hunter Renfro. Um, our good buddy uh, Ian Rappaport reported that the Earl Thomas trade was about to go down, and it looked like Kansas City was going to be the winner of that sweepstakes, probably going to cost them a second-round pick. A second-round pick was offered by the Dallas Cowboys earlier on in the process. The Chiefs said no, or the uh, the Seahawks said no, and were allegedly looking for two second-round picks. That was never going to happen. So then they changed their mind and said, okay, I guess it sounds like they would accept a second-round pick. The Chiefs were in the process of trying to figure out how they could clear the salary cap space to bring on Earl Thomas. One problem, though, Earl Thomas would play in the game mm-hmm. against the uh, – who were they playing against? The Arizona, Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals. And, uh, and snaps his leg. So that uh, all for nothing here, which leads me to a whole lot of thoughts here, Buck, the number one of which is if you're close to a trade and it feels inevitable, uh, aren't, if you're the Kansas City Chiefs, aren't you telling the Seattle Seahawks, you can't play him? Like, let's talk with Earl. Let him know he's going to get his wish. He's going to get out. He's going to come with us. Um, everything's good. Just you're not going to play this week. We're not going to take a chance. If you're if you're really that close to getting something done. Yeah, you make a soft verbal agreement. Um, let him know the trade is going to be done. It'll be done Monday or Tuesday. You hold him out. We see this done all the time in baseball. We've seen it in basketball. Yeah. Where guy, hey, where where where's my guy at? Oh yeah, he's expected to be traded. I think that would have been a smarter play. And who knows what would have happened with Earl Thomas's leg. But you would – I just would have liked to have seen the Kansas City Chiefs potentially have a secondary that eventually has Earl Thomas, 
and Eric Berry, two of the yeah. top safeties in the same draft class playing side-by-side, side, I would have loved to seen what that secondary looks like because they do need people in the middle of the field that they, can they might not, the Well, they might not have either one. I mean, with you've seen some of the reports about the Achilles – um, it's like an impingement or something. It was very yeah. odd, yeah. Uh, but not good there for Eric Berry and his health. And Earl Thomas, this team needs more playmakers on the defensive side of the ball after Marcus Peters uh, no longer being there. That would have been a nice addition, but all for not. Another piece of news here, Lev Bell um, had an interesting tweet after the injury to Earl Thomas and uh, said, I want to say along the lines of, hey, I, I'll continue to be the bad guy for all of us, uh, which I thought was quite interesting. And then it was also reported uh, that he'd be coming back Week seven, uh, according to Jeremy Fowler of ESPN. Yeah, very, very convenient because that's the bye week. So everybody likes to come back and get paid for not having to play a game. So it's a perfect time for him to come back and kind of reacquaint himself to this offense. And I understand what Le'Veon Bell means in terms of he'll be the bad guy for everybody because he's trying to take a stand, trying to let it be known that, look, players, particularly elite players, when their time is up, they need to be extended. They, if the team is all about them, they want to get paid. He's trying to make that point. Earl Thomas had a mini holdout during training camp, but eventually came in. Then he kind of had a hold in where he wasn't practicing, <laughs> but he still gets hurt. So I understand the point, but for the Pittsburgh Steelers, they need him to come and they need him to come soon. It seems like eons ago, after week one, when we were talking about James Conner being a, a, a viable replacement. Oh, yeah, great, yeah, great we, story. We have since seen that the Pittsburgh Steelers' offense is not the same with 26 not in the lineup. They need him because it brings much-needed balance to that offense. Look, I know Big Ben is having his way, throwing it all over the yard, but they don't win like that. They have to be able to run the ball. They need Le'Veon Bell back in the fold. Yeah, Mike Tomlin came out today and said he has not spoken with Le'Veon Bell. Gave the old, I'm just worried about the guys that are here. I'm not going to talk or worry about the guys that aren't here. So uh, still, I think, a little bit of an icy relationship there between Le'Veon Bell and, and really the entire organization from the front office, uh, coaching staff, and, and even infiltrated to some of the players there, obviously, what the offensive line had to say about his contract a, a few weeks back. So interesting situation to monitor there with the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, let's jump into this uh, this college recap here. But before we get to Hunter Renfro from Clemson, and I know Sully is all fired up, so proud of himself. He had a 10-3 and three week. Um, very good. Very nice. I was right behind him at 9-4. and four. I'm not, you know, I don't celebrate second place, so I'm not going to say nothing there. Buck, 8-5, and five, Kent, 7-6. and six. But when we look at the overall record, Sully did vault into first place. Bucky, you and Kent are tied for second, three games behind him, and I'm one game behind you guys. I, I, I like being kind of under the radar. I don't want a lot of hype. I don't want a lot of attention. We're just going to kind of hang in the race, and then we're going to make our push. But uh, hopefully that starts soon. Cause, uh, maybe really maybe, maybe you'll make there. your push like the Dodgers. You know, maybe oh, you'll there make you your go. push like the Dodgers, and you can be a division champ too. You know what? Somebody asked me the other day, by the way, knowing that I'm a Padre fan, does it bug you uh, that the well, Dodgers won the baseball. division? Padres suck. <laughs> there you go. That's a good drop to store. I was just asking you, does it bother you that the, that the uh, Dodgers are in the postseason for the sixth time? You know, you, you, you want them to win the division in that little one-game playoff they had? With the Rockies, said, "Oh, look, they're going to win the division, no question. The the Dodgers need the stage to get a little bit bigger before they completely collapse. So whether that's Game Seven of the World Series, whether it's the NLCS, they'll they'll find a grand moment before they melt down. And as yeah, a Padres fan, that's really all we have to live for. I don't know. I don't know if they'll collapse, but I, I I like how they're trending. They're in the mix. They play the Atlanta Braves. They're hot. So that, they're hot. That hot squad. That's your Puig and crew." But, I know Yasiel Puig, by the way, get a little get a little loose, a little loose after that game the other night. <laughs> uh, let's jump into uh, what happened last week, Buck. Haven't got a chance to talk about that yet. Biggest game of the week, Penn State had Ohio State dead to rights. They could not finish it, and a very curious play call on fourth down 
uh, really, you could say, with their season on the line, they took the ball out of Trace McSorley's hands, which I know they've caught a lot of grief for, and I would say rightfully so. Yeah, they weird set of circumstances in this game. This is a game that Penn State dominated. Penn State should have been a, a, a team that won this game by 10 to 14 points, the way they controlled the action for most of the game. Uh, Trace McSorley, the one thing I will say about him, man, he is a, a gutsy competitor. Uh, it wasn't always pretty, but his ability to make plays with his legs – added something to that offense. And at the end of the game, when they were running their two-minute offense, I thought that they were going to open it up and allow him to do a little more running. I understood they were trying to get the perfect play call. They ran a little zone read play. Uh, everything was to give it. He gave it off to the back. And uh, they just made a perfect stunt, hit the running back right in the mouth. At some point, though, you would like to think about Trace McSorley being able to get on the edge so he can either make a play as a thrower or as a runner, give him as many options as he can to make a play to get the critical fourth down because at that point they only needed a field goal to win the game. Yeah, inside zone, that, that was curious. No, not my favorite Very curious, very curious play call there. Ohio State, uh, even though you're right, I thought Penn State controlled the game for the most part. You still see some young, some young athletic players on that Ohio State defense. And Chase Young, when it needed to be made, that last play, he found a way to get it done. No Nick Bosa on that defensive line. They still got plenty of dudes, um, and they end up sneaking out of there with a win. Haskins, by the way, I know he had he threw a bubble screen for the game-winning touchdown, but he would when he got a little bit off his spot, was rattled a little bit, Buck. That thing was sailing all over the place. That did not come away. Uh, ultra impressed with a guy who's generated a lot of hype so far. He has generated a lot of hype because he's been able to really throw from a clean, grassy knoll um, and deliver perfect strikes. I think with Haskins, Haskins is the old-school, prototypical pocket passer. He's not a guy that's going to mess around and, and beat you with his legs. He's going to need to play behind a nice offensive line where he can sit back there, drop back, beat you with the seven-step drops. His arm talent is terrific. He's just not the athlete that we're seeing from some of these other quarterbacks in the college game right now. Notre Dame-Stanford, old-school physical affair between those two programs, as it always is. And, man, Notre Dame just pounded them in the second half. 38-17, to they end up pulling away from Stanford. I, I was a little bit interested to see what would happen with Stanford off of a very emotional game on the road against Oregon. That is a tough schedule to then go play on the road at Notre Dame. And I thought just in the second half of that game, Stanford always is well-conditioned as any team in the country with their strength coach in Kyle Turley, who's, or who's Shannon Turley, I should say. Uh, Shannon does a great job up there with them in the strength and conditioning program. But, man, I thought that was a game where they kind of ran out of gas in the second half. They ran out of gas. Notre Dame uh, beat them up. And I think what Brian Kelly has discovered, when you look at Notre Dame, uh, I'm not saying that Notre Dame is quite Alabama, but they have some Alabama tendencies in terms of they well, want to beat you up. They're, they're big, big, they're physical, and if you go back and look at the way this team has transformed from the time that Alabama and Notre Dame matched up in the championship game, I think Brian Kelly took some of those lessons to heart. They're bigger, they're more physical. He dropped in a quarterback that gives them something in the passing game, and defensively, they get after it. This team has a soft schedule that should allow them to get into the playoffs, but I think they are a team that is built to play in the playoffs uh, you have to be excited if you're a Notre Dame fan by what Brian Kelly has been able to do with the squad. You brought up a great point uh, talking about that. I was at that Alabama-Notre Dame game, and it was just a physical mismatch. And if you remember, that Alabama offensive line, I believe that was DJ Fluker, yes. uh, Warmack, all those guys, right? And it was big physical. Now, if you look back from that game till now and compare Alabama and Notre Dame with the offensive linemen they've produced, mm -hmm. Notre Dame has produced far more talented NFL linemen, first-round picks, big-time players. 
when you look at uh, Zach Martin, Ronnie Stanley, uh, Nick Martin, the center, who's been in the NFL, mm-hmm. uh, you look at last year with Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey, I mean, Alabama has not come close to putting that much offensive line talent in the NFL uh, like Notre Dame has. And I think that, that game right there was kind of a turning point for them. Yeah, I think it was a turning point because it let them know how far they must go to be a team that can sit at the top of the hill. Um, they got there, um, and I think what Brian Kelly wants to be able to do, and I think all teams have to be able to do this, no matter what, like we all love seeing the ball fly all over the yard, quarterbacks accumulating these big passing numbers, but at the end of the day, you have to be able to run the football. You have to be able to be physical on both sides of the ball, and I believe right now Notre Dame – has more options, especially with the quarterback in book coming in. They have the option of being able to play any style to get it done, run it, throw it, play great defense. Notre Dame is built for the long haul. I am really, really impressed by what they've been able to do. All right, last game we'll get to here before we bring on our guest, a game that our guest played in here. Clemson sneaking away with a victory over Syracuse with a clutch drive with uh, a guy that I would say was their, what, their fourth quarterback uh, coming into the season because you had one transfer already. Yep. Uh, Hunter Johnson had left. Um, you have Trevor Lawrence gets hurt in this game. He had replaced Kelly Bryant, who has since left the program. So they end up having to throw out a freshman out there down uh, against Syracuse. And, man, he made a fourth down throw. I want to say a little corner route. Oh, uh, with, perfect. With, with Chase. season on the line. Big-time throw. Richard freshman Chase Bryce had an opportunity to go in after Trevor Lawrence was dean. He didn't play in the second half. And he did enough. He made enough plays uh, for them to be able to get it done. I will say he jumps into an offense that certainly has a nice supporting cast. He has weapons on the outside. The thing that you saw from Clemson and how they changed – when he was in, they ran the ball on 71, 72% of the snaps. They made a point to emphasize the running game, allowed them to play more physical. But let's be honest about Clemson right now. Clemson is a team that they have been – their ranking doesn't necessarily match the way that they're played. Right now they've been a little overhyped because they haven't played well. They haven't played like a dominant team. When I yeah. click on the TV and I look at Alabama, I'm like, yeah, that's what a playoff team looks like. When I look at Ohio State and Penn State – they look like playoff teams. When I look at Oklahoma, particularly on offense, they look like a playoff team. And Clemson, I see a good team. I don't see a team that ranks with the teams that we saw from Clemson previously the last couple years. They need to improve significantly. They won't be challenged the rest of their schedule, but in the playoffs for them to win, they have to be a much better team than a team that we've seen trot on the field the last couple weeks. And hats off to Syracuse. Uh, they did a nice job. Dungey played well in that game. I thought it was a little bit curious that Dino Babers didn't use his timeouts as uh, as Clemson was in that last drive. I thought he could use the timeouts, preserve some he, time, and give us. He, he was hoping for a stop. He was hoping for I a know, miraculous but, uh, stop. There, hope, hope is not a strategy. Is a <laughs> famous line there. Uh, to me, I think you use those timeouts give uh, give your offense a little bit of a chance. There was a little more time. But anyway, it didn't work out for Syracuse. They were off to a hot start. Couldn't quite get it done there against Clemson. All right, let's let's uh, let's let's get to it, Buck. Excited to bring in our next guest here, uh, Hunter Renfro, one of the most enjoyable players to watch in all of college football. Before we get into your story, which is a really fascinating one, uh, let's let's uh, look back to last week and your guys' game. They're a real nail-batter. We are just talking about it there uh, against a Syracuse team, and you find your guys uh, without your quarterback there and Trevor Lawrence got some injuries, and then the next thing you know, man, you guys are in the pressure cooker in a must-win game. What was that vibe like on the sideline as you guys are going out there for that uh, for that game-winning drive? Yeah, I mean, we we'd been down the whole uh, the whole game, and uh, Chase had to come in. He would he started third string uh, last week, and so um, for him to come in down by uh, I 
I think it was three points, uh, had to go 94 yards. You could really just feel uh, the fans, uh, the whole team just come together and uh, will that drive together. You know, in thinking about that, having a redshirt freshman who's really taking his first significant action as one of the leaders on the team, what did you guys do in the huddle to try and make him comfortable? Is there anything you can do as a playmaker to ease some of the burden on the quarterback? Yeah, just try to make plays. Just go out there and just try to be your best um, whenever it's needed. And uh, just go out there and, and not do too much. Um, do too much. Just do things that you've done in practice. Just make him comfortable. Just make him feel like it's a practice. And that's all you really can do. Sally, you might have been one injury away from you taking some snaps, uh, by the <laughs> yeah. way, in, in that game as the, as the emergency quarterback. I, I want to go back to your high school days where you were uh, playing some quarterback here. T- walk us through kind of your high school career, uh, position you played, offense you played in, and then just kind of tell us about that recruiting process for you that wound up with you walking on at Clemson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was an interesting story. So I grew up in Myrtle Beach, went to Soxie High School, um, and we ran the triple option. Uh, my dad was the coach up until – my my senior season um and so i'd always played i'd always played quarterback um we try to put one of the better athletes at quarterback to run the triple option um so i didn't really play receiver much i mean i played it uh, growing up in the backyard and that's really where i learned for the most part just with cousins i like to joke uh <laughs> out in the backyard you don't get flags you don't you don't get those sort of uh deals so you got to fight through it um, and so when you go out there on Saturdays, a little easier. Uh, you get you get a flag every now and then, a call going your way. But uh, now it was fun. Um, came to Clemson as a preferred walk-on. Um, I remember being real upset. I came to camp at Clemson uh, after my junior season, and Coach Sweeney offered me a preferred walk-on spot. And I remember being upset and a little teary-eyed on the way back home, um, <laughs> thinking that I deserved scholarship at 150 pounds. Um, <laughs> but just being uh, – just being upset and uh but i remember making a decision on that car ride home that this could be a good thing um i'll have to earn it um nothing's given and i'll just have to go earn it every day and uh, i've kind of kept that mentality with me over the years man that mentality is terrific um how hard was the transition because going from being an option quarterback to learning how to run routes and really learning how to be detailed and precise on the perimeter um did you lean on some of the, the veterans that you were able to look at, the guys that had played the position at Clemson before mm-hmm. you? Because you guys are known as wide receiver year. Yeah. It, it, I was surprised that it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. Um, just because when I tell you, I played a lot of backyard football growing up. I mean, every, every day it seemed like I was playing backyard football. So I knew how to get open. I knew angles to take. Um, God blessed me with some ability to kind of start and stop. Um, but some guys I leaned on was Adam Humphreys, who plays for the Bucks now. Um, he was number 13 for me at Clemson, uh, and he was, a, he was a senior when I redshirted. And he would always joke with me and lead me astray, tell me the team meetings in a whole different building. Uh, but it was just a relationship that I, that I valued and uh, just taught me the uh, nuances of the position. I get a chance to see one of your former teammates, Mike Williams, every week doing these Charger games. And, man, Clemson, Bucky mentioned it, talking about wide receiver you. How competitive is that position room? I mean, now I know you guys put all these guys out in the NFL, but I look at the, the roster of guys you've got now. Some of them are pretty young. But, man, the talent just yeah. keeps coming. What's that room like, that competitive atmosphere in that receiver room? It's competitive every day. I, I truly believe we have nine or ten guys that can go out and start for any ACC school. Um, that's it's just, just the depth that we have. And 
and it, it shows in practice. You can't take a practice day off um, because you're going to get outworked and you can get out competed. Um, and so every day you got to bring it. And if you bring in a practice, then uh, the games, the games just become that much more easy. You know, one guy who is kind of fascinating for me to watch, uh, your head coach, Dabo Sweeney, uh, is he always as engaging and enthusiastic as he appears in interviews? What is it like to play for a guy like Dabo? He is. I think everyone would run for, run through a wall for him. Um, he, he, he practices what he preaches. Um, he's exactly who he says he is. He, he's always bringing that energy. Now, he'll crawl you if you're not doing what's right, and, and his big things are effort and just doing what's right. And if, if, if you do those things, he won't have a problem with you. But if not, then he'll get into you pretty good. Um, but it, it's funny because so his son is one of my roommates, um, and we actually live in Coach Winnie's place, so I got to pay rent to him every every <laughs> every month. So he's actually a landlord to me too, That's which funny. is kind of funny. That is, but funny. Uh, but he's a he's an amazing amazing person, and that and that's one thing what makes him such a great coach is that he could go and and run a business. Um, he could go be a pastor of a church. Just whatever he does, he's going to be the best at it, and um, he has that drive. I want to go back to a play that you're going to be known for for your entire life. I mean, you're going to be a 90-year-old, and anytime you're in the state of South Carolina, you're not going to have to pay for breakfast uh, because of the <laughs> touchdown of the national championship game uh, from Deshaun Watson. Just take us through. We've, we've uh, talked to Deshaun about it before, but I, we haven't got a chance to visit with you. Uh, just the play call, the coverage, and, and what you saw, and then just kind of run us through that game-winning touchdown there against Alabama. Yeah, it all, it all, I mean, just the whole drive and the last play, it all started with the preparation of it. Um, the preparation of our, our GAs and quality control, just knowing that inside the five, there are 100% man coverage. Um, so we knew that going in. And also, it was interesting because the first, the first touchdown we had of the spring game, the previous spring, was that play. And so we started the season with it, and that team ended the season with that play um, for a touchdown. Um, so it and, and we'd run it so many times um, over the course of the season. It was kind of a bread and butter play for us. So we lined up and we, we got exactly what we thought man coverage. Um, I think six seconds left. And so we, we have from the outside, we have a corner route kind of coming in. If he if he kind of gets a shoulder on the guy, fine. If not, then then go run the corner for the zone beater. Um, but it happened that that their DB, Tony Brown, went over the top. And I could slip underneath, and, and we scored. And uh, all, his, all else is history. Man, that is terrific when you're able to take something in practice and, and put it into play. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I want to talk about the guy who threw the pass in that Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson last year took the NFL by storm. Uh, some people were surprised at how effective he was able to be right away as a first-year player. Having spent some time with Deshaun Watson, did any of his success uh, surprise you? Is he that kind of leader, that kind of player at all times? You're not surprised that he was able to have that kind of success in the National Football League? Yeah, not at all. I mean, that's just a credit to how he prepares and how he thinks. And and that's the big thing. Um, I knew he was ready just because he's a super calm uh, guy, has a great demeanor, and he's poised. And he's confident. And he's confident through his preparation. And, uh, and so seeing what I saw last year, I mean, that's Deshaun. Uh, he plays the best in the biggest moments. And uh, he was always excited to play in the NFL. 
One thing I don't know if you're aware of, but we, uh, you know, growing up in San Diego, we actually have a professional baseball team. Not many people know about it because the Padres have not <laughs> yeah. been relevant for so long. Uh, do you yeah. ever get confused for the Padres outfielder Hunter Renfro? You think he had 26 <laughs> home runs this year? He's not a bad player, but I would guess yeah. maybe he has a four strikeout game. You might get something nasty on on the social media or something. Do you ever get confused there? Uh, yeah, sometimes, sometimes on social media, but it's funny because I, growing up in South Carolina, he went to Mississippi State. And yep. uh, I grew up a Clemson fan. My high school baseball coach took me to a uh, South Carolina Mississippi State baseball game when Hunter Renfro was playing, um, and I had no clue. I didn't even know who he was. I just showed up at the game, and I think he was—I think he's an outfielder, but he was playing first base maybe that game. And uh, it was just cool to see, and uh, it, it's been cool. I've talked to him a few times on social media, and to see it's cool to see him uh, kind of just see his career take off. Yeah, you never know. You never know how many Hunter Renfros you're going to run into. Uh, last question to me, and I'll, I'll let Bucky finish it up here, Hunter. But, man, uh, you know, it, it breaks my heart. I'm excited for you. You won a national championship. You've been a great player. What an experience you've had there. Uh, but as somebody who played at Appalachian State, to know that we were this close, <laughs> we were this close to getting yeah. you up at the rock up there, uh, yeah. I feel like we finished second for a couple players like yourself. Yeah. But just tell us, uh, tell us why you made that uh, poor decision to, to not go to Appalachian <laughs> State and, and go to Clemson. Uh, yeah, like like you said, Appalachian State was my second school. Um, if I was going to play both sports, I probably went to App State and play baseball and football. Um, had a great uh, relationship with the D coordinator, was one of my dad's teammates, uh, Nate Woody, who's now at Georgia Tech. Um, Coach Satterfield was a great guy. Coach Stepp, who's at Arkansas now. Uh, but Boone was a cool place. Um, I think I was this close to letting them uh, let me go Damn. skiing on my official visit. And so that would have been cool. Uh, but just, just I felt like God wanted me at Clemson. Um, just through a lot of prayer, and just seeing the leadership of Coach Sweeney and all the coaches here, just led me to Clemson. Uh, one, one thing, because you talked about the baseball background, how has being a multi-sport player coming up playing baseball? How has that helped you become a better wide receiver in college? Yeah, it learns you how to deal with different types of people. Um, that's the biggest thing, because baseball players are nowhere near the same type of person as football players. And so just being able to 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 kind of take all these different types of people and 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 add to the team and just trying as a leader just trying to build a team and just uh trying to be a light um and as far as an outfit so i played center field just taking angles on the ball i'm just not running on the heels of your of your feet because when you do the ball kind of moves a good bit um so in the summertime i'll even track tennis balls uh to practice wide receiver because that that's if you can catch a tennis ball, then a football is a lot bigger. It's a lot easier. Well, I'll tell you what. It, it's been a pleasure to visit with you. We've got uh, your feature up on NFL.com, NFL.com uh, slash Hunter Renfro. You can check it out. It's a great story that goes in, in much deeper detail into your background. Uh, couldn't be happier for you. I told you I, I was done with questions, but i got to leave you with just one <laughs> final question. Yeah. As somebody who grew up in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and haven't been down there, uh, I know about the uh, proliferation of miniature golf courses, and I know you guys have miniature <laughs> yeah. golf there at Clemson. So are you the yeah. best mini golfer on the Clemson football <laughs> team, yes or no? For sure. Yeah, these, this course here is a lot easier than the ones at Myrtle Beach. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll go home in the summertime and get a lot of practice so I can beat up all, all my friends here at the facility. <laughs> oh, there you have it. He, he is a great miniature golfer. He's an even better <laughs> wide receiver. And uh, we have thoroughly enjoyed getting a chance to visit with you here. We look forward to following you as you make that transition, as all these Clemson wide receivers do from the college level to the NFL level. We'll be seeing plenty more of you along the journey. Hunter, thank you so much for your time, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it, guys. 
Buck, I always love when we get a chance to visit with these college players, especially in the run-up to the draft, but it's a little bonus when we get to talk to them during the college season, and could not be more impressed uh, with that man right there, Hunter Renfro. Very impressive, very impressive, um, like his road uh, to the top, as we'll say, uh, in college football, being a critical playmaker for the Clemson Tigers. Uh, I thought he shed some interesting light on Dabo Swinney and why he feels um, so strongly about playing for him. I just think he's a very, very nice kid playing in a great program. Look, Clemson's been one of the top programs in college football the last few years. Uh, You can see why, because they bring great kids into the program. And for those uh, that want to check out that article, again, www.nfl.com slash Hunter Renfro and last name R-E-N-F-R-O-W. Uh, you can check it out. And it, it, trust me, it is a, a really cool piece, a really neat kid uh, walk-on who's gone on to be really a star in college football and somebody we're going to see in the NFL for a long time. Anything else you want to uh, hit here, Buck? What are we working on? No, that was great. I'm working on, uh, you know, like now that we had our quarter awards, I'm going to do that in my notebook and just trying to figure out, man, how good would Pat Mahomes be when he continues to get more experience? Oh, yeah. Uh, this is very scary. And I've got uh, top 25 rookies coming out. I believe that will be coming out Thursday. We'll have a video to go along with that as well as another podcast coming your way. So hope you guys enjoyed this one. It was a lot of fun. Looking forward to uh, to the next one. Again, you can uh, check out all the videos, nfl.com slash mtsvideo, youtube.com slash nfl. Do yourself a favor. Subscribe to the podcast. Tell a friend. Leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. Uh, we always do appreciate those. All right, that's going to do it for us. He's Bucky Brooks. I'm Daniel Jeremiah. We'll see you next time. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 